but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And welcome to our mid-Wimbledon recap. Uh, we'll just save a lot of time. Everybody lost. Uh, we'll see uh, you at the end of the tournament. But <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. The goats are still alive and that's pretty much it. This is, uh, we've experienced Wimbledon in 2013 when Serena Williams lost. That was the year Marion Bartoli won the title, beating Lasicki in the final. What's truly unprecedented is that no top five woman will make the second week of this major. That's an actual receipt? It has never happened in the open era. Oh. As far as the top 10 goes, we only have one player left, who is Karolina Pliskova. Who was a stone's throw two games away from losing in straight sets. Yes. In the third round. And Simona Halep was up 5-2 in the third set against Shea today. She could have made the second week to kind of save that top five seed open era stat you just threw at us. Mm. It's just been... Uh, Razor-thin margins. It has. I, well, the defending champion is out. Former champion Sharapova is out. The big caveat here is that Serena is still there. Angelique Kerber, Karolina Pliskova, Serena, those three are all still alive. We've heard a lot about how it's been utter carnage on the women's side. And while having nine of your top ten seeds go out before the second week is a huge story, <laughs> and that <laughs> is true, uh-huh. let's be clear, though, that there's been carnage on the men's side as well. And together, no round of 16 match on either the men's side or the women's side will feature a match that played to seeding. Mm. None. Is, that there is, is very zero. interesting. As kind of a corrective or a sanity check here, in the first round on the men's side, we lost 10 seeds. Same number as on the women's side. 10 seeds went out in the first round. On the men's side, three of those seeds happened to be top 10 players. That was Dimitrov, who lost to Stan, Dominic Thiem, and David Goffin. And by the third round, we lost Chilich, which I think, to me, is the shocker of the men's tournament so far. Possibly even the whole thing. Because I saw him as the lone threat to Roger Federer's title here. Of course, my predictions have been deeply terrible. He was one of the betting favorites. And uh, I think we've seen that the moment you pick a male player outside of the big four or five to be a favorite at one of these tournaments, it's just not going to pan out. Mm -hmm. So on the men's side, through the first two rounds, we lost 15 seeds. On the women's side, we actually only lost 14. And I think it seems a bit more catastrophic because, to be fair, we lost big seeds. In the first round, 10 seeded women's players lost. Four of them were top 10. But we have a few contenders who went out early, right? Petra Kvitova, number eight, lost in the first round to Alexandra Sasnovich. We had Sloane Stevens, who had her own quarter at number four. Svitolina, who could have been Serena's third round opponent. And Garcia, lost to Belinda Bencic. Sharapova also lost in the first round to Diachenko. And then in the second round, four more seeds went out. But these were the big ones, right? This was Wozniacki at number two, Muguruza at number three. Brings us to 14. So actually, the men lost one more seed in the first two rounds. But again, 
On the women's side, there were some huge contenders, big shockers that went out. You did some math there that I'm just not totally sure was necessary. Really? I'm just saying, because ESPN did this little package showing that all of these women went out and was very dramatic, I'm just saying that a few men's top 10 players lost, and actually more men's seeded players went out in those first two rounds, so they are being a little bit dramatic. I get your point. I wanted to give you some statistics and here. And it's a very good point, and a point well taken. <laughs> I just felt it was a bit circuitous. Okay. Hopefully we can fix that in post-production. I hope you were all were following along at home and didn't get lost. All right. The point is 15 to 14. Okay. Getting into week two, nine of the 32 seeds made it on the men's side. And on the women's side, seven made it. What I've seen a few people point out is that although a lot of the top women's seed lost, their vanquishers have made it far. It wasn't like a one-and-done thing. You know, I just don't think that Makarvo is going to be able to sustain that level <laughs> oh to get to the fourth round. I would be, I don't, I would be very surprised. I mean, isn't, she's like never made the second week of a slam before. <laughs> we are, of course, referring to Caroline Wozniacki's press conference after losing to Ekaterina Makarova in the second round. Caroline had reason to be upset. She is the number two seed. She is a reigning Grand Slam champion. She had just come off a grass title. I mean, she's not... Grass is clearly not her best surface. However, I think she expected herself to go way further than this. But I mean, any top seed would be wary of Makarva drawing her in the first two rounds. Like, the draw comes out and you see that matchup, you're like, okay, that is... That's a danger zone. Absolutely. Because she has a reputation for being a giant killer. She has made the second round of a slam... 14 times, now 15 with this one. She finds herself in the fourth round again. And she is actually the current number one doubles player. She's so, made the semis of a slam twice. Yes. She's not a punk. She, she is ain't not, no punk. Not to be trifled with. So what we are referring to is what Caroline said in press that, that was a bit controversial. I don't think it was the biggest deal in the world, but it was a little bit petulant as we have come to expect from Caroline. Is that fair? Don't drag me into this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, purely facts. No more, no more speculation. What she said was, quote, For her to keep this level, I would be very surprised if you saw her go far. But with someone playing like this today, I really did what I could. It just wasn't enough. And then she went on to say, I think she played above her level and really raised it and got a little lucky and played well when she needed to. So there are a few things there. I had a, a very interesting discussion with some people on Twitter about the word lucky. Not moderately interesting, but very interesting. Shut up. <laughs> Do you want me to remove all modifiers, all <laughs> intensifiers from my speech? <laughs> In the North American sport context, the word lucky is loaded. When a losing player says that their opponent was lucky, we interpret it to mean, well, that wasn't based on skill or talent they kind of won by chance, or I did something to, to give them a chance to win that match. You were having this discussion with Anna Marseille on right. Twitter. And she said, well, a lot of Scandinavian players use the word lucky and really don't mean it that way. Like, it, it's not meant to be shade at the opponent. It's just saying, yes, sometimes things happen in tennis matches when you're both playing well, and, you know, luck falls a certain way and another person wins. 
So it's not sort of demeaning that person's talent or skill. And of course, we don't know how Caroline meant it, but I will, I will take back kind of the shade that I threw at Caroline for that specific phrase. Tone has a lot to do with it. Venus Williams herself, when she lost to Kiki Burton's in the third round, said in her press conference that Kiki was a bit lucky, but then she went on to say, she expounded that, yeah, she was lucky, but she also played with a lot of skill and she deserved to win. Right. So th- the context here and the way someone delivers that is Venus was saying, sure, were there points where luck fell her way? Does that mean she did not deserve to win? No. What I think really bugged me about what Wozniacki said was saying that she would be very surprised if Makarova went further mm. or went very far in the tournament. It's demeaning for the reasons that we delineated before because she is an accomplished singles player. To see her in the second week of a Grand Slam would would not be shocking to anybody but a neophyte. (laughs) Right? Right? I mean, how how many players in history have 15 appearances in the second week of a major? Like, really... In in the grand scheme of things, not that many. No. She's very accomplished. And she's won majors and doubles. The thing that I found with Caroline, especially in the last couple of years, is that, you know, we're in an era of shade where it gets thrown around. We have telecasters, news people using the word and phrase throwing shade. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody has access to shade now <laughs> and is using it. Right. Caroline's shade is just so leaden-footed and heavy-handed so as to totally demean the process. It's an art form. Mm-hmm. And it Shade is supposed subtle. to... Yeah, it's supposed to be subtle and have you be like, did that, did that bitch just read me? Was that, was that shade? <laughs> it's like you didn't feel anything, but you look up and your hair is gone. I mean, there was a, a cool breeze there. <laughs> and, and we talk about this all the time. When shade goes wrong, it's just mean-spirited. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, this was a, a misstep. You're entirely allowed to be up in your feelings after losing. Like, that is a human response. It's natural. But this was uh, my. Right. Just be factual. That's it. <laughs> anyway, the point was many of these players who took out top seeds in the first and second round have survived. It wasn't like, uh, for example, I'm still salty about it, Benchich beating Venus in the first round in Australia going out in the second round. Benchich herself. You mean Belinda Banchich? Banchich. Banchich. Yeah. Banchich herself beat another top seed, Garcia, in the first round and finds herself in the fourth round. Makarova's in the fourth round. She'll face Georgie. That is a winnable match for either of those players. Donna Vekic, who basically everyone said, wow, this is a very tough first round match for Sloane Stevens. We said, well, I said, she'll probably gut it out. But it's certainly not what you want to see in the first round. Sloan lost. Donna is in the fourth round. Van Eitvank beats Muguruza. And she's progressed to the fourth round. She's causing, well, causing waves in my mind, in our mind's eye. (laughs) Right. Because she is one of the very few out gay players on, well, I was going to say either tour, but on the WTA tour. And there she's after a third round match kissing her partner. Mm -hmm. Who... And apparently her girlfriend warms her up for matches, can hit with her, and she decided to come out, I believe, earlier this year, and she said she has had nothing but positive responses from her peers, which 
Coming so soon after our Pride episode is great for me to hear because I think you and I both kind of conjectured that there would be a lot of support from one's peers if someone were to come out. And of course we have active lesbian players on the WTA, but that more of the resistance would come from institutions rather than players. Quite simply, you just let Martina and Billie Jean in the locker room to smack them around and knock some sense into them, <laughs> right. you know? Of the players who scored upsets, Tatiana Maria was the only person who went on to lose in the very next round. She took out Svitolina in the first round, but then went on to lose to Mladenovic in the second round. Mladenovic then goes on to play Serena in the third round, and that was competitive. It was. And, we saw uh, a, a little bit of Kiki's finesse, her flair. It seems like a, a fire has been kind of relit. Maybe the pilot light is back on. One of the themes to take away from the first week, rather than focus on all the carnage with the top seeds, and this came into focus for me with Venus's press conference, one of her press conferences, where she was asked how she felt about the opportunity to play at Wimbledon again. Venus's response was, it's an opportunity earned. (laughs) Implied that it's not given to you. Like you Mm -hmm. are there because you've earned the right to be there. And these women in particular, who've scored all these upsets and have progressed into week two, they've earned their stripes. They've earned their position. They deserve to be there. Whether you like it or not, whether you're pressed about your fave. And in truth, a lot of these women, they've had results that kind of make it not so surprising. I mean, Benchich and Van Oetvenk have both made the quarterfinals at a major before. Of course, Benchich has won the Rogers Cup in Toronto while Drake was there. She's somebody of incredible tennis pedigree. And really, when she was younger, heralded as a possible next big thing, kind of a, a Martina 2 or 3.0. And she could still get there. Tatiana Maria, who beat Svitolina, won Mallorca on grass this year, of course. Sasnovich is, I think, not surprising anyone that she's breaking out this year. Won Fed Cup with Belarus last year. Made the third round of the Australian Open. I mean, Donna Vekic is great on grass. Her best results are third rounds at the French and the U.S., but clearly no surprise that she's doing well at Wimbledon. And then on top of all that, you have Sibulkova, who, as we know, was annoyed about losing her seed, but it hasn't mattered. She beat (laughs) number 22, Joanna Conta. She She was fired up after that win. Yeah. She beat number 15, Elise Mertens, and finds herself in the fourth round with a winnable match against Su Wei Xie. Although, based on the way Xie played today, I don't know if it's winnable. Xie made the fourth round of the Australian Open, had a, a much ballyhooed run in Melbourne this year. For those of you who didn't know her, you knew her then, after mm-hmm. that run. We spent a lot of time on the podcast telling people to get in the bin for saying that she was playing jump ball tennis. Remember? Right. God, even Chris Everett got dragged today because she said it looks like country club tennis and then she had to retract and apologize. <laughs> I mean, she obviously, she she does everything with what she has. She has so much skill and so much inventiveness. It's so wild to watch. Clearly she gets up for these majors. The one surprise that's a real, real surprise, I'd say, is Evgenia Rodina. Mm -hmm. She beat number 10, Madison Keys, who, while Madison admitted in press that she was anticipating a clash with Serena Williams, and it distracted her. But Rodina has been around forever. She is also a mom. 
like Serena. She had a baby in 2012. She's been on the circuit since like the early 2000s. And her previous best at a major is a second round. Speaking of moms, we learned that Serena and Venus organized a baby shower for Tatiana Maria. Hello, right? Apparently she lives nearby in Palm Beach Gardens. Tamani Cariel tweeted that out yeah. this week. Let's talk about Serena and Venus for a little bit. Venus lost in the third round. The trend for Venus this tournament, coming into it with not having any match play on grass, which is not unusual for her at this point in her career, but mm. she's had unsteady results. Well, frankly, bad results throughout <laughs> the entire clay court season. And the last time she played well was in the Sunshine double swing. Right. Indian Wells and then Miami, I believe making a semi and then a quarter. We haven't really heard much from her since. She shows up here, the first two matches, loses the first set, and then comes back rather convincingly to win those matches. In her second round match against Dilgaru, she won love and won the final two sets. Mm -hmm. In the end, playing a quality opponent like Kiki Burton's in the third round, it was... It was just too much, too much for her to overcome. Because Kiki was game, she fell behind early again, came back, won the second set. She was, what, two points from losing the match in the second set? Won the second set, went up an early break in the third, which coincided when I started watching the match. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just not going to watch those matches any longer. (laughs) And uh, Kiki really brought her game in that third set, forcing the errors from Venus and while Venus played well in spurts, it just seemed like there was a, a level of rust there in those high-pressure, big moments, especially serving behind in the third set. That just It just kind of felt almost inevitable that it was going to go that way, eventually losing 8-6 in the third. To my mind, my synopsis is that Venus wasn't quite match-ready to go the distance at Wimbledon. I don't think it's apocalyptic in thinking, oh, she's done, that it was a that she looked terrible, that she embarrassed herself, none of those things. It just seemed like she was not quite there yet. And is, boy, I don't know, like, is practice enough to get her ready for these big tournaments anymore at 38? And then when you go and play practice events, well, not practice events, but events to get your game well-practiced ahead of the Grand Slams, Mm. does that take too much out of her game at 38 to be able to compete? It seems that perhaps she's in a, a place now where she might have to reconfigure that balance. Now, Serena, on the other hand, has seemed to be gaining steam as we go on. She's not 100%, but during the Mladenovic match, certain things were working well. Certain things were a little more difficult than they should have been. But late in the second set and into the tiebreaker, we kind of saw the Serena of yore. She hit, I believe, 12 aces in the match. The tiebreaker was one-way traffic, finished the match with an ace, and the tiebreaker was very stress-free. It was really the only part of the match that was stress-free. I think as Serena enters the second week, if she gets past Rodina, we're in good shape. We're, we're in not safe terrain, but uh, I'm breathing a little bit easier. And for me, I, I totally disagree. I think it would not with be what? surprising if Serena won the title. I think she's, she's playing well enough to win on grass Mm. right now. My caveat to that is, have we seen her in high stress situations in these big tournaments since the baby? I don't think that's happened. You know, like there's, there are a lot of et cetera factors that can come into play separate from what her game is in the moment. Right. I mean, just today she tweeted that Olympia took her first steps and she missed it. 
and she was really upset that she missed it and she cried. Of course, I mean, she's wrestling probably with some guilt about being torn between her career and the baby. You know, these moments only happen one time. There's that, and then there's also the et cetera's on the court mm-hmm. as well. I have to say, off topic, I was surprised that Simona went out to Shea. I was thinking earlier this week that, you know, wow, Simona seems to be wearing this mantle really well. That winning a major seems to have given her confidence and, and she looks like a top player. I was I was actually very impressed. And she didn't play a bad match against Shea today at all, but I was surprised to see her go out. Certainly no disrespect to Su Wei, who is awesome. Again, though, it's an opportunity earned for Su Wei, mm. right? Like uh, Simona played well enough. Sue was down in the third set and she seized her moment. This is not Yana Fett collapsing in Australia to Caroline oh, Wozniacki. Oh my, poor Yana Fett. You really going to do her that way? That's just my point that I'm trying to make. <laughs> like these are, these are women stepping up for the most part. Right. And we've seen Shea do that before against Radwanska, Muguruza in Australia. What else happened? I mean... So we got Barty and Kazakina today, which unfortunately Ashley Barty lost. It's not an upset in numbers, especially since Ash had not won any matches at Wimbledon before this year. But I have to say I'm I'm a little bit upset by it. I know that Kazakina can do almost anything with the ball. Especially when you consider that Ash was, I believe she had a break point to go up 5-1 in the mm. first set. Mm. And then ends up losing 7-5, 6-3. So she ends up only winning four more games the rest of the match. Yeah, so I just kind of want to like understand what happened. Kerber Osaka was beat down City. I think it's a matchup that works really well for Kerber. Osaka wasn't showing her a lot of variety or a lot of defense. Like a lot of things just weren't clicking with her today. But man, Kerber looks very, very good. Like her defense is so aggressive. It's so physical and athletic. It's great to watch. Her serving was solid. She hit 71% first serves today, and it, it was a real weapon. Naomi, for me, was not able to assess the patterns in the in play. Mm. By, by the early parts of the second set, I would call Kerber's shots before they happened, and Naomi would be in the opposite <laughs> direction. Right, right. I was sitting on the couch with him, like, down the line, and then there's Naomi running out wide to the forehand. It's uh, She's still very young. Mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of folks tend to forget, us included with Naomi. Like she's top 20 in the world and she still has a long way to go, but she also has a lot of time on her side. Right. To be fair, Kerber does disguise the direction really well. And maybe you can predict watching on TV, but if you're in a match situation, can you figure out with this open stance backhand, is she going to go cross court or down the line? It wasn't about reading the ball of her racket. Mm, It was about just the the strict pattern. what would be the best play? No, this is what she's done the last two or three times. Mm. And she's doing it. You're getting beat the same way the entire match, essentially. Okay. We'll give you the eight round of 16 matchups. On the top half of the draw, uh, Shea plays Sibylkova in the very first match. Then Yelena Ostapenko plays Sasnovich. Alison Van Eitvank against Kazatkina, and then Angelique Kerber against Bencic. Those are the four matches there. And for me, based on what I've seen this week, Kerber gets out of that half into the final. That's what I, I would pick. I agree. I think it would be hard to choose against her at this point. I mean, it's actually pretty easy because everybody's losing. But <laughs> somebody well, looks great today, they're gone tomorrow. But right. She has a, a Wimbledon final in her pocket. She's won two Grand Slams. She's been 
on the comeback trail this year. She's the safest bet, mm-hmm. put it that way. And then on the bottom half, you have Karolina Pliskova, who narrowly escaped losing to Buzarnescu. She plays Venus Slayer, Kiki Burtons. Yulia Gerges plays Don- Donna Vekic. Serena plays Rodina. And Camilla Georgi plays Makarova. I think Pliskova looks very vulnerable. And I could see Vekic taking her out, Gerges, someone on the bottom or on the fourth quarter. For me, Serena's the one who gets through here. Mm. And we'll face Kerber in the final. But I'm, that's that sounds too predictable when I say so it out loud. So who's your winner? Uh, well, it gets harder there because <laughs> in 2016, Angelique Kerber played a really, really strong final against Serena. And I think Serena was at a higher level then. However, the serve seemed to be clicking through that Mladenovic match. So I don't know. I, I, I don't like to predict things with Serena. I'm asking you to make a pick here. Serena. Okay. I am going to go with Karolina Pliskova to make it out of that half into the final. And I'll tell you why. Because in Australia, we saw uh, Wozniacki come a stone's throw to losing early. Went on to win the title. Mm. And then the same with Simona Halep at the French Open. And then going on to win. I feel like this is a trend that's been happening. And perhaps that, that close call with Puzernescu is the thing to like kick her in the butt and uh, motor her forward. Also consider that Pliskova has four WTA finals on grass and that she has two titles, one each in Nottingham and Eastbourne. So she has pedigree on grass. She has the big serve. She has the tools. And so I take her over Kerber in the final as a reverse of the 2016 U.S. Open final, Mm. and a repeat of the 2016 Cincinnati final. All right. So who are the surprises on the men's side? Well, the alt-right contingent is almost completely done for. Aside from John Isner, who will be facing Steph Tsitsipas, Jack Sock lost to Matteo Berrettini in the first round. Obviously, Jack has been prone to dramatics lately. He said, By dramatics, you mean acting a damn fool. Like assholery. Mm. He complained about the officiating. He told Matteo at the net that his coach was an asshole. And then, uh, per Ben Rothenberg, rather than going to press, Jack got in his car and drove away from the site. Which is an image that I really enjoyed picturing. However... He is playing mixed doubles with his former girlfriend, Sloan Stevens. So he's not gone completely. Ryan Harrison lost to Adrian Manorino, who does have a good record here at Wimbledon. So that's not a total surprise. Sam Query lost to Gael Monfils, who finds himself in the fourth round after beating two seeds. His countryman, Richard Gasquet, and Sam Query in the third round. So beyond the, the American guys... What are some things that jumped out? Beyond the American guys, the American guy, Mackie McDonald. Right? Come on, man. <laughs> I'm trying to set you up for this segment. We have this whole thing like, who is Mackie McDonald? <laughs> so that's Mackenzie if you're nasty. Oh my god. He's into the fourth round of a slam. Mackenzie McDonald. A lot of us first heard about him at the Australian Open where he made the second round and took Grigor Dimitrov to 8-6, I think it was, in the fifth set. That had been his best result at a major. He got a wild card a few years prior to the U.S. Open. The times that we are in, when Mackie McDonald starts stringing together these wins, so many of our mutuals on Twitter are combing through his social media to find evidence of assholery. Right. <laughs> 
you gotta be on your toes these days. And to be honest, the worst thing I could find was some egregious punctuation. <laughs> and you know what? We'll forgive it. And ill put apostrophe, showing ownership when it should not have. <laughs> and we have all done it. We've autocorrected its before. Mackenzie McDonald is an Asian American tennis player, one of the rare Asian American players out there. He played for three years at UCLA. Going into UCLA, he was ranked the number one prospect in the country. In 2016, he won the NCAA singles and doubles title. And he's talked extensively since, every time he's interviewed about what it's like to be a college player, kind of the benefits of going to college rather than turning pro right away. He thought seriously about turning pro after that huge season in 2016 and decided to stay for his junior year. So he played three years at UCLA and then went pro. He felt that he needed another year to develop. But since then, he's moved to Florida. He's at the USTA Training Center. And, I mean, things are really looking up for him. He's cracked the top 80 with his performance so far. And talk about a breath of fresh air. I hope it lasts. I hope something doesn't become unearthed that is <laughs> detrimental to him and or view of him in the near future mm. because it cannot be overstated just how terrible this crop of American men is. Save for Francis Tiafo, Chris Eubanks, Mackie McDonald, quite literally a handful of younger American men tennis players. Francis was up two sets to love on Karen Hachanov today. Yeah, he was suffering physically. Some people were saying that he had a stomach bug. Something was clearly bugging him physically in as the match went on. He was accused of tanking later on in the match, which I think is pretty unfair, especially knowing who this young guy is. But this is his best result at a major. It's encouraging. I think his game gives people fits. It's unconventional. And th I mean, this is exciting. The top four matches of that bottom half, which happened today, were notable for varying reasons. There was a TFO match where he lost from two sets up. Kyle Edmund lost to Djokovic. I had pegged Edmund to beat Djokovic in that match. Mm. And after the first set, it was looking pretty good for Kyle. But then Novak started to Novak. <laughs> right. Kyle was hitting his forehand out of this world in the first set. Especially on the run, it is so demoralizing. But in the second set, the placement wasn't as good, the speed was less, and Novak started doing what he had to do to win the match. Now, late in the fourth set, and it turned out late in the match, there was this egregious call <laughs> that went against Novak. It would have given him a break, and he would have been able to serve out the match. So Novak hit a short ball near the net, Kyle ran up to it. It bounced twice, which was clear from the replay. Kyle's racket hit the net, and his return went out. So he lost the point in three different ways. However, Jake Garner, the umpire, was only ruling on the double bounce thing and said, no, it's fine, Kyle won the point. I mean, like the disbelief. Kyle could not have lost the point in, in more ways. Um, it was a shocker, and it could have really changed the whole direction of the match because he did go on to hold serve. However, Novak did win that fourth set. And the match. Right. Consequently, the match. The The match that I was kind of riveted by today was Ernest Golbis and Sasha Zverev. 
talk about opportunities earned. Ernest Gulbis is somebody who's been flailing away on the challenger circuit in large part because the wild card well has run dry for him right. in the last couple of years. He's well outside the top 100, entering Wimbledon, and he finds himself in the fourth round after taking out Jay Clark in the first round, followed by Damir Jumhor in the second round, and then now Alexander Zverev. Gobus is a guy who clearly has been heralded as having tons of talent over the years. He has that confounding forehand. He plays with a lot of creativity. It's a difficult look for a lot of players, but his ranking has been everywhere, all over the place. He's been in the top 10 before. He beat Federer at the 2014 French Open, which is his best result, reaching the semifinals. I submit for your consideration that Ernest Gulbis has the most beautiful ball toss in all of tennis. Mm. I have a picture from the Rogers Cup a few years ago where he's on a practice court and I'm looking square on from the baseline and I could not believe just how high it went. Right. It's, 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 his serve is something to watch. Mm-hmm. But like you said, he's been playing challengers all year, all over Europe. He's been playing the occasional ATP tournament as well. He qualified for the French Open. He qualified for Wimbledon. And it's not like he's he's winning all these challengers. You know, he's he's winning matches, but he's not winning titles. He's doing it the hard way. And honestly, I, I have a lot of respect for him trying to kind of put his career back together at this stage. He's 30 years old. Looking back over his career, he's something 30? that I yeah, something oh that I was God. surprised to learn was just how, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, unaccomplished he is on the Grand Slam stage. I just assumed that for somebody who has been talked about for so long, someone who I knew was a top 10 player, someone who I knew had beaten Federer on that big stage at Roland Garros and had gone to the semifinal, that he would have made the second week of a slam more than just five times. This Mm. is the fifth time he's done it. I owe him a bit of an apology. I added one year to his age. He's actually 29. He's turning 30 (laughs) in August. But his is a career that it's hard to tell whether it's talent unfulfilled or just maybe folks made too much about him? Mm. I don't know. I th- I think he has an immense amount of talent. And this match today, Sasha wasn't injured. He was simply outplayed. So an opponent played a better match than he did. It could easily have been a four-set match. Gulbis served for the third set, played a long game on serve trying to close out that third set, and was broken from... 5-4 up, serving for the set, he ends up losing the set 7-5. And at that point, you think, given the trajectories of their careers, that this is going to be a tough ask for Gulbis to come back from two sets to one down against Zverev. And he does it with a plum. Right. Uh, Sasha was, like, slipping and sliding all over the grass today. He had this very ugly incident with a lines person. It remains to be seen if he uttered an audible obscenity or not, but the one of the lines people went up to the chair and said, hey, this is what he said. This apparently is part of their job. It is something that they're supposed to do if the umpire hasn't heard it. Uh, but Sasha went off. And then during the changeover, he said, don't listen to him. He's just a lines person. Clearly, he's trying to get some attention, like he's trying to get famous off this. And it was just so ugly. And it's, for me, a reason that I don't... I can't gravitate to Sasha because I see him punching down a lot. He's rude. He's rude and he punches down a lot. Well, that's the thing. Like, 
you can be rude, but it strikes a chord with me because it's like you're going after people who, like you're rich and famous. You're going after people who are employed precariously, who go back to their regular house and live their regular life. They're not trying to get famous. They're trying to do a job here. You're a famous tennis player with millions of dollars in endorsements wearing a Richard Mill watch. Like, it's just, it's so unattractive. It's unpleasant. And I'm glad that he was routinely dragged on Twitter over that. But, I mean, that doesn't make a big deal for him, obviously. But it is, I mean, it does place him in proximity to someone like Caroline Wozniacki, to me. Because it's petty and it's immature. <laughs> well, you were, I was reminded of this tweet because... Or listener Shannon Clark tweeted at you today to say, I still think about this tweet. And it was yes. a picture of Caroline and, and Zverev together. What did you call them? The may I speak to your manager twins. And there is there is so much truth to that, you know? Well, thank you. See, that's how shade works. It makes you think a little bit. It's light, you know? It's airy. <laughs> but hopefully there's a lot wrapped up it's in It's not, it. you're a rude bitch. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's not shade. That's just rude. <laughs> Another surprise for me, Gilles Simon, he's in the fourth round, somebody whose ranking has plummeted, hasn't had the results in the last year or so. He is in, he's uh, on the men's side, the fourth round queen, really, <laughs> because this is the 11th time he's made the fourth round of a slam, and he's only made the quarters twice. Mm. Somebody who's a former top 10 player, here he is at, what, 33 years old? Right, he's going to face Juan Martin Del Potro. Yuri Vesely is another one who beat Fabio Fognini. Thank the Lord. So Rafa doesn't have to face him. But this is not an easy fourth round match for Rafa. Vesely also took out Diego Schwartzman. That was a seed he mm -hmm. took out to get there. Simon, he took out, well, nobody well, he, really. He had a much easier path. He did because the seed in his section there would have been Jack Sock. But Berrettini took care of him. And then Simon took care of Berrettini. And then Simon beats Matt Ebden to get to right. the fourth round. Well, Matt Ebden, who knocked out David Golfin, who was the 10 seed, mm -hmm. who was really the big seed in that section. Nishikori versus Kyrgios today. It went on very, very late. There was no possible way it was going to finish until it did. Uh, that first set took, brace yourself, 16 minutes. Oh my God. Well, there was all this hullabaloo about the start of that match and why, how... Did Wimbledon get itself into this position where a crucial third-round match, a big-ticket third-round match like this, mm. could be taking the court so late in the day? Right. Like, why did you After move it? 7 p.m. What was it, like 7.10 they were going on court? Mm. And luckily for them, the match took less than two hours because Kay came to play. He did, and Nick didn't. <laughs> I don't want to rub salt in the wound, but that was not... It was just not the Nick Kyrgios that we've seen. It wasn't like the Karlovician Nick Kyrgios who's been hitting like 30, 40 aces in a match. The Kyrgios who's had strong results warming up for Wimbledon right. looked like he was building towards something. On the top half of the draw, Roger Federer is through with incredible ease to the fourth round. He has not even had a game on his serve taken to deuce through three rounds. Are you serious? Serious. Like, Stop. that bitch is serving for filth <laughs> <laughs> this tournament. Manorino is something of a grass court specialist. However, it's not the worst matchup in the round of 16 for Roger Federer, right? There's Manorino. He could face Mulfees or Anderson. But, man, like, this does not seem 
super difficult for the number one seed to get through to the final. Mofis plays Kevin Anderson. Mackie McDonald plays Milos Raonic, who's been quite uneven this tournament. Mm, but Expectedly is, so. But is a recent runner-up at Wimbledon. Yes. Must be said. Two years ago, but still, it's not surprising that Milos would have some rust. Maybe he's still carrying some niggles. I don't know. Like mm. This is somebody who's been brittle over the last right. couple of years. And for him to make it to the second round after playing so little this year or so sporadically has to be seen as a success. And still in a position to, I mean, get to the semifinals. It's totally within reason. Right. Stefanos Tsitsipas went from winning no Grand Slam matches. His first Grand Slam win was at the French Open this year. Now he's in the fourth round of Wimbledon. He dragged Gerald Donaldson, Atlas Shrugged, right out of the tournament. Beat Fabiano, sort of benefited from uh, the loss of Warinka and Dimitrov in that section. And he's going to face, you know, huge serving alt-right John Isner. Who do you have on the men's side advancing? Well, <laughs> on the top half, Roger. I, I, it's impossible to pick against him. And on the bottom half, I actually put Kei Nishikori in the final based on his performance today. I have learned not to trust Kei over the years, so <laughs> oh. I will not be going that route. I have a hard time, given the last five years, trusting Nadal to get to the final of Wimbledon. Yeah. That's, that's a tough ask for me. Mm. So I'm going to have Novak getting through, and then he's going to play Federer, and Federer is going to whoop him in the oh, final. Okay, All right. That's the way I see things going. <laughs> Some big news on the Federer front. We're a little bit late. This happened a week ago, but Federer announced that he has joined up with Uniqlo and left Nike as his sponsor. This was something that was speculated about ad nauseum for a couple days, mm-hmm. like a couple weeks ago. And then it kind of died out. And then lo and behold, Federer appears on center court wearing a collarless Uniqlo red and white. Mm. White with a slight red trim top. All right. Timed with a boss press release from Uniqlo announcing Roger Federer as a global brand ambassador. Financial Times reported that the deal is for $300 million over the next 10 years. Regardless of, I mean, clearly he won't be playing for the next 10 years, mm-hmm. but that money is not contingent on him playing. It's, I mean, Nike is still... It's his personality. Nike is his... still paying Michael Jordan. Exactly. This is how this works. Mm-hmm. The numbers seemed inflated to me. Like, like whoa, whoa there. <laughs> uh, and Daniel Kaplan, who is a, a sports business lawyer mm-hmm. slash journalist on Twitter, he subsequently tweeted that he has it on good authority that the deal is closer to $10 million a year. Oh. Which then makes it even more crazy to me that Nike wouldn't match that. Oh, right. So I think there's probably some speculation some discrepancy still out there as to what ex- mm. what exactly is what. Because the money wasn't in the press release, in the no. official press release. But uh, the Financial Times did report that Federer offered Nike the chance to match Uniqlo's offer, and they declined. Nike still owns the RF logo, which will probably continue to be lucrative for them. Roger seems... I don't know if there's some, some dealing in the background that we don't know about, because Roger seems that seems to think that the logo will come back to him. He says, it will come back to me in the future, I hope sooner rather than later, that Nike can be nice and helpful in the process to bring it over to me. So without any 
background knowledge that sounds incredibly naive so i have to assume that there's some agreement going on my understanding is that nike does not own the logo forever like there's a okay. there's a time span a limit on that and as to when that's happening i don't know but that's part of it and the coming to him sooner than later maybe means roger's trying to get them to like release it sooner than that like before the trademark expires yes because he is right he said they are my initials not theirs however the the design and the brand belongs to them as far as i'm concerned this is a brilliant opportunity for roger to move past one of the most hideous logos in the history of all of sport <laughs> to be frank oh that's really? what i think oh really trim it with red and not gold and move on cut your losses <laughs> I, RF is still going to be RF. You can make it work, mm, bro. I love Uniqlo, for the record. I know there was a lot of snobbery about the brand itself when the when the rumors were swirling. I'm sure a lot of the diehard Fed fans are like fully on board, like they've bought stock in Uniqlo right now, even though they were against it at first. However, I don't think Uniqlo will have him go out in one of those tacky-ass blazers. Step into a Uniqlo store. Have your mind changed. Pose for a picture with Kei Nishikori's cutout. <laughs> a quick note on doubles. On the men's side, the top four seeds are all out of the tournament, leaving Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez as the top seeds left in the draw. We don't. We, we really don't talk about mixed doubles a whole lot, but this event has a couple of high-profile pairings. Mm-hmm. Victoria Azarenka is playing with Jamie Murray. She's got the Martina Hingis spot. <laughs> <laughs> And they won today. Yeah. And as we mentioned earlier in the episode, Jack Sock and Sloane Stevens are paired together. Now, I I really need to know how this happened. (laughs) Because if you do not know, back in the day, a few years ago, these two were an item. Yes. There was that famous L interview. Like... (laughs) Just revealed so much. It's kind of an infamous interview. And this is while she and Jack were a thing. At the time, it was confounding. Now that she's with Josie Altador of the Toronto FC. The that MLS. interview back in the day, the, the authors describing Sloane's mood and what she's wearing and the fact that they're being driven by Jack Sock in that moment. <laughs> You'll see a highlight going around Twitter where Sloane returns a bullet of a serve with a bullet of a backhand in mm. their first mixed doubles match. And Jack is like, oh my god like makes a big deal out of it and my first thought is are we on some oh my god i can't believe you made a girl do that to you bullshit right it was dominic inglot serving he was playing with sam stozer and sloan returned his serve brilliantly so it was cute but like this is mixed doubles women have to return men's serves all the time and it is possible yeah and uh is it shocking that she'd be able to return a serve? Like, right. I, I just don't uh, she won the U.S. Open? Like, <laughs> Serena has, Williams serves at 125? Like She has some of the easiest, most fluid, easy power strokes in women's tennis. Come on. Like, the, the tomfoolery and the clownery, it's just... It's so heightened with Jack Sock right now. Like, it's... Ugh. But they won their first two matches, and if Jack needs Sloan to get some wins, fine. You know, we all need women to make us better sometimes. The tab that he must be picking up having to fly to Europe and fly right back to the ranch <laughs> like ranch. 30 times a year, it, that, that adds up. I guess we have to talk about this whole Marion Bartoli dust-up with Nick Kyrgios. See, what ha- happened was 
<laughs> is that what this is? It it happened. Mm-hmm. And there is Mr. John McEnroe stirring shit up. Stirring yes. shit up. Okay. And folks aren't even paying that any mind. Before we get into that, let's just give the facts. Facts are facts. What happened? The category is... Retired French commentator genius. See, I was going to go with retired player rudeness. <laughs> don't, don't forget about the genius part. That IQ, I'm telling you, nothing pathetic about it. Einstein could never. On BBC, Marion Bartoli was asked about whether Nick Kyrgios could win a major, in her opinion. And as we know, Marion does not hold back when asked for her opinion. She said, no. I don't think so. Unequivocally, no. She said, I'm not questioning his talent, but I don't think he will be able to do seven matches in a row. Then, as you mentioned, John McEnroe chimed in with, would you like to compare him to Gael Monfils? No, I think he said, would you like to compare him to Gael Monfils? Monfils. <laughs> he is... <laughs> so Marion oh said, those kids have so much potential, and it's really, in a way, pathetic. It seems like they just can't grow up. They can't become men. They can't take charge of their own lives. You know, maybe she knows them in a way that that comment would be applicable outside of tennis. But to say that about their game, and then to say that she doesn't want to see Nick waste his life by not winning a slam, like, girl. Like, damn, girl. Like, like, this is a defense of Jack Sock that I used in this podcast three years ago. Like, if Jack Sock wants to show up and clown around and be a top 40 player the rest of his life and collect coin, be happy, that's his prerogative. Right. Not everybody is cut out for this Grand Not Slam winning is, life. is Jimmy Connors or Yvonne Lindell. Like, a lot of people have talent. Yeah. Right? Everybody has talent. Like, the whole top 100 has talent. Have you seen me try to hit a tennis ball? Like, I don't got talent. I would kill for an ounce of their talent. Right. But but the thing is you're not you're not saying that they're wasting their life because they have talent. No. Right? I, I mean she just went all the way in. And I think there there are kernels of truth in what she said, right? Like Nick Kyrgios is clearly he has something natural that a lot of people don't have. And obviously his work ethic is not like the best in the top 100. He doesn't have a coach. He's realizing that he wants to commit to a more kind of professional approach to tennis. And he, he's talked about this. He just started warming up before matches. <laughs> right. Which is like a big light bulb. Oh, should I warm up before matches? <laughs> should I work on lower body fitness to protect my hip? I mean, like. He has a fitness trainer after having all these hip problems right. for years as a young man. Like these are. So, okay. Like, maybe she's she's not totally no. off base. The, the professionalization of Nick Curios is still a big work in progress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that is still a work in progress that he has sole ownership and authorship of. It's his business. Right. Like, he is beholden to his mother, himself, maybe his bro- whoever is intimate with him in his life. Isla as well, whatever. His God, if he has a God. That's mm. it. Not to me, not to Marion. It's crazy to me that somebody would say that. Waste his life? Lord. What about his life after tennis? Yeah. So on Instagram, Nick Kira says, Yesterday, Marion Bartoli had to say some nice things about Gal Mofis and myself. 
They're, quote, pathetic, quote, ch children. They, quote, can't become men, quote, wasting their life. Who are you to judge the way we go about things? Who are you to tell us how to do things when you have no idea what we've been through? Stop assuming you know what's best for others when you think you've had a little success. We get it. We know you have to remain relevant, but I'll give you a heads up. We don't care what you have to say. <laughs> he was doing so well. You can you can always rely on Nick with the clapback. But the clapback was so classy until he got into the whole being relevant business. Right. I mean, there's he, probably kernels of truth in there too, <laughs> but it's not sure, the best sure. look. Marion then replies. She says, all I wish to you, tagging Nick and tagging Gail, is to fulfill your incredible potentials and win multiple Grand Slams because both of you can do it. And Nick responds, that's not what you said, LOL, but cheers. And he's right. Um, don't, so don't hate me and don't write me off, but... You're talking to me? Well, you and the listeners... Because I feel like what fresh bullshit there is, is a lot of uh, kind of much ado about nothing here. Marion is is a commentator. She was asked her opinion. We know how she is. She went a little bit too far. She got personal. I believe that she believes what she meant was, I think you have a lot of potential and you should be winning majors. So what she replied to Nick with, I think she believes that. And you but, also, but I understand. But also, you could see her searching for the word before she landing on landed on pathetic in that right. interview and she's also speaking english mm -hmm. would she have chosen that word in french does it have a different connotation in french i have no idea i don't mm -hmm. speak french so i think there's a, a bit of danger in assigning all that power to that word i don't agree with what she said but i have issued opinions on this podcast that i have regretted and and issues about nick that i that i've I've kind of rescinded. As so I, I. I get it. The other thing is that she's like a 35-year-old or whatever woman, and Nick is in his 20s. So we're both adults here, but she has had a lot more growing and learning to do. And I think maybe she should do better. But it's not something that I'm super upset about. What, what does upset me is that the two players who are continually being targeted are people of color. We look at them and say, wow, you have so much natural, God-given athletic ability. Can we reasonably separate that from your race? Why can't you right? make more of your fast twitch muscles? Exactly. And I, God, I heard that goddamn word in commentary today. Fast twitch muscles? Yes. And it bugs me so much. So I think that's the thing here. Like, are these players considered lazy because we, uh, do we overestimate their natural athletic ability in comparison to other players and you necessarily degrade their intellectual ability right and because the history of fast twitch muscles is way back when as far back as the 30s 40s fast twitch muscles were identified as something unique or better in people of color to explain why they were faster Right. It's a, I mean, it's a race, racial pseudoscience. Race science. Yeah. Yes. And uh, that it still comes up in common conversation on air today. It, it blows my oh, mind. Oh, it absolutely does. But this is the way that folks of color within sport get talked about and framed that is totally innocuous on the part of the people who are doing it for the most part, but it has real significance. Mm. And we've seen now that Gal and, 
and Nick have been pigeonholed largely by their own doing, but also it's a narrative that's furthered by folks who refuse to think critically about this and also drag along all the white players who are just as bad. <laughs> right. Well, like you said earlier, there are so many players with incredible otherworldly talent in the top 50, in the top 20, who have not achieved what they should have achieved. Grigor Dimitrov is one of them, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he seems to work very hard, but are we are we denigrating him for being a mental midget, for being pathetic, for being a kid? The because, easiest comparison no, is Jack Sock. Okay. You, want, you might want to say that he's not as naturally talented. Fine, but he has more than enough talent with the application to get places. Mm. And yet... We don't talk about him. Right. To be fair, she was goaded by John McEnroe. This is my point now. <laughs> like, I, I'm not here for that devil mm. instigating and starting shit. He was the one who brought up Monfils' name. Yeah. On that note, that's the end of our mid-Wimbledon episode. We'll be back. We'll be back in a week or so to recap the final stretch. We'll be talking about our winners. Maybe we'll have a newly minted Grand Slam champion, Sue Shea. Who knows? Mm, Something Hopefully on the men's side. A new champion on the men's yes. side? But <laughs> on the women's side, I'd like to keep it with someone who at least has 20 or more. <laughs> My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. We are the Body Serve Tennis Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the Body Serve. The same on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Reach out to us on Twitter. Email us, thebodyserve at gmail.com. Shout us out on iTunes. Give us a a review there. It's one of the tangible ways that you can help us become more prominent. And let the world know about the podcast. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.